I think we could say that um, what we talked about Sunday perhaps could sum it up the best. If I'm a fan or am I a follower, what we talked about Sunday is this. I think a fan has a lot of words, but a follower has a lot of action. Uh, And I think our lives need to have action and we need to be living the life. Jesus never asked us to sit on the sidelines and cheer for his cause. Jesus wants us to be in the game. Come on, he's not looking for an enthusiastic admirer. That's a fan. He's not looking for someone who wants to be close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits, but not close enough that it requires a sacrifice. And that's what fans want. They want all the benefits. They want the rewards. They want everything they can, but they're not willing to pay the sacrifice. They're not really living or willing to truly serve God. And unfortunately, that's what To most people, Christianity is that you can live whatever way you want if you've given your life to Christ. And then God's just going to take care of you. But throughout this series, we've tried to show you that Christianity, being a follower of Christ, is more than just saying yes to Christ. It's more than just accepting that call. It's denying yourself. It's taking up your cross daily. It's more than just living in the do. Come on, it's not about just let me do this and let me do that. A lot of people think that's how I become a follower of Christ because if I pay my tithes, if I go to church, if I do this, all important things. But it's not about the do, but it's about living in the done. Think about that. It's not about what I can do, but stepping into what's already been done. And you know what's been done for me? He already died. He already paid the price. His grace, his mercy has already been poured out. And followers live in that and realize I am what I am by the grace of God. It's not what I can do, but yet my actions follow what my testimony, my life that will be given to God as a result of being in relationship. The do will happen, but I rejoice in the done and thank God for that. You know, if I was to ask each one of you tonight, you know, what have you taken from this series? It's so amazing because every one of you would probably have a different answer. And the reason you would have a different answer is this, because the Word of God is living. The Bible tells us that in Hebrews, that the Word of God is living. What does that mean? Let me explain. We can be preaching a message on, say, giving. And all of a sudden, someone is feeling convicted in their life about how they're treating their spouse. While the other person over here is turning around saying, man, I'm making some wrong decisions in my life and I need to change. What I'm saying is this, a message can be preached, but the Holy Spirit can be preaching numerous messages into everyone's hearts and everyone's life. That's the power of being under the Word of God. That's why we need to be in the house. The Bible says, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. As you hear the Word of God, faith can come in your life. And that's what I love about the Word of God. I can be preached preaching on something and the Holy Spirit can be preaching something completely different in your life. But it's what's needed for your life and it's what's needed for you. And, and, and I'm glad that his word is alive. And here's what I hope. Here's my hope throughout this month. And I'm using a sporting term. I pray that you've advanced the ball down the field throughout this month. I pray that if you're a fan and you were a fan, that you've stepped into the following realm. You may be new at it and it's kind of scary and a little bit intimidating, but you're just advancing the ball down the field because I want to be better than what I was yesterday. Anyone with me on that? I want to be a better person. You know, by the time the year comes around again and it's rapidly approaching, I don't want to wait till the end of December 
And realize the new year's in to turn around and say, man, I've got to make some changes in my life. Because even not, I'm going into 2014, maybe worse off than when I went into 2013. Because if you're going into the new year the same way you started this year, you're worse off. Because time has moved on. You know, if you're the same way, you're worse off. And don't leave it to the end. I believe every series, every message, every day is an opportunity for us to grow in our walk with God, have a closer walk with God and move and say, God, how can I change? What needs to happen in my life? And, and I want to close out the series tonight. And, and here's my thoughts in closing out the series tonight is this. I want us to make sure that we don't come to the end of another series and say, OK, check, done. Let's move on to something else. We've got to take what we've learned in this and keep applying it to our lives. Keep being the follower that God has called us to do. And my challenge for every one of you tonight is this. You know, are you hitting the wrong target? Are you hitting the wrong target? This is what I want to talk about as we close out this series. And you may say, well, that's kind of strange. Jesus said it's not how you start the race that really matters. It's how you finish it. And what we can have the tendency to do many times is we can, we can kind of get overzealous. We can get prideful and say, okay, I've got this, I've got this. And we can forget really to put in the effort and the work that's needed. And thus we're missing the target. We're hitting the wrong target. Anyone ever heard of a, a guy called Matt Emmons? Anyone know a guy called Matt Emmons? Anyone, anyone ever heard of Matt Emmons? Let me tell you who Matt Emmons was. Matt Emmons was one shot away from claiming victory, a gold medal, in the 2004 Olympics in the 50-meter three-position rifle event. He was an American Olympian. He was one shot away. He was so far ahead of everyone else in the field that he didn't even have to hit the bullseye. He didn't even have to hit anything around it. He just had to hit the actual target Anywhere and wherever he hit the target, it was going to more than guarantee him a goal. But it was described as an extremely rare mistake in an elite uh, competition. And what he did was he was in lane three and he shot a target that was in lane number two. Receiving a zero instead of a medal and he ended up finishing in eighth place. Eighth place. All he had to do was hit the target. And he hit a target, but he hit the wrong one. And instead of getting any score that would have guaranteed him a medal, he got a zero. He was horrified because he thought he had won it. His hands were in the air. He was celebrating. He thought he had won it. He was waiting for the score and he was amazed when he saw a zero. And everyone went, what, what, what happened? And they discovered that he had taken a target in the wrong lane. Why would I use that example? Because we need to make sure in trying to be a follower of Christ, we're not aiming at the wrong target. And let me explain that. In Matthew chapter 23, we're going to be turning there soon. So if you've got your Bibles with you, I just uh, I would suggest that you begin to turn there and keep your finger in that spot because we're going to be dancing all over Matthew chapter 23. But we see Jesus trying to get the attention of a group of fans who were called the religious leaders. Back in Jesus' day, there was two main groups. There was the Pharisees and there was the Sadducees, okay? The Sadducees was such an elite group of people that you literally had to be born into that institution. You couldn't earn your way in. You couldn't pay your way in. You were born into that. They were the religious elite. Then you had the Pharisees, and the Pharisees was something you could go to school for. You could work your way in. But again, the standard was so high. So here is two elite religious organization, leaders, people. And you would think, man, they should be the followers of Christ. These people knew the scriptures backwards, forwards, inside out. They knew everything there was, the way they dressed, the way they conducted their lives. Everything was based upon the letter of the law. They lived their whole lives according to it. Anyone who should have been a follower was surely them. But here's the problem that they had. And a problem that many of us have in church today. Their whole life was based upon what was on the outside instead of what was taking place on the inside. 
The problem with the religious elite of that day was it was all about the rules, doing this and doing that. It was all about the appearance. The Bible says they would say long prayers so people would go, wow, they're so holy. Wow, if only I could be like them. It was all about what other people thought and the image that they were presenting to other people. And you see, we've got to be careful because we can say, man, I've got all this follower stuff down. But if we don't watch, we can be hitting the wrong target and it becomes about what we do instead of really about who we are. And reminded that who we are will spell out in what we do, but it comes from the right direction. Come on, it comes from the inside out. It doesn't work from the outside in. Come on now, it works from the inside out. It comes from a heart to God and you desire to do the things of God. Listen, you will never coast into a greater relationship with God. You never will coast into a greater relationship with God. It doesn't happen. You'll never coast into a greater relationship in your marriage. You can't just not care about it and your marriage gets better. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that in any type of relationship. So why would we think it would with Jesus? But we see the religious elite of that day, it had become all about the outside. We've got to watch in church that it doesn't become all about the image of who we think we are. Because there's so many people today that have distanced themselves so far away from people. It's no wonder they're not impacting lives. They're not changing people. And all people can say is, wow, they're so holy. There's no way I could be like them. But most of the time they're saying, I wouldn't want to be like them anyway. And that's sad when people are looking at Christians and saying, I don't want to be like them. The Bible says we're the hope of the world. We're the light of the world. We're the healing for this world. And we've got to be the light that God has called us to be. But it was all about the outside to them at the neglect of the inside. And we know what Jesus pays attention to. He doesn't look as man sees. He doesn't see the outside. He looks first at the heart. Because again, Jesus realizes if I can change the heart, then everything else is going to fall into line. It's going to fall into line. And don't get me wrong, you know, these guys were hardcore uh, and they were aiming at the wrong time. But you know what? Here's what you've got to understand is this. What they were doing, focusing on the outside and not the inside, made them a hypocrite. Jesus called them a hypocrite. A hypocrite, in the best definition, is someone who wears a mask. It was like in the old plays of those days, one person would maybe assume three or four different roles. And what they would do is they would wear a different mask as they assumed that role. They would stand behind and act out a part, in other words. It wasn't really who they were. They were acting out a part. That's what Jesus said. They were hypocrites. They were behind a mask, acting out a role. But what was beyond or beneath the mask wasn't what was being seen on the outside. And Jesus called them a bunch of hypocrites. Read with me what it says in Matthew chapter 23. Look in verse 1. Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples. Verse 2 saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Verse 3. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. Now stop. I wonder if Jesus kind of paused right here because they're feeling good about themselves right now. Jesus has said, see all the religious leaders, whatever they say, whatever they do, you need to observe that because they're speaking the truth. Okay. So Jesus is saying, listen to what they're saying and all these. So they're feeling really good about themselves. But notice the verse isn't finished. What does he say at the end of verse three? He says, but do not do according to their works, for they say, and what? They do not do. What we just read there was this. Jesus said, I don't have a problem with what they're teaching. Jesus said, in fact, some of the stuff they're teaching, not all, because we see that they fabricated it and they made it to suit their own means. But a lot of what they were teaching was right. It was scriptural. It was biblical. So it wasn't the problem with what they were teaching that Jesus really had the issue with. The issue Jesus had was what they taught was not a reflection of really, really who they were. The problem wasn't their teaching The problem was the way they lived wasn't even close to being a reflection of really who they were supposed to be. Let me bring it to our level, can I, right now? 
Because it's easy for us to look at them and go, yeah, I, I can see that. But it's sometimes hard to see it in our lives. Let me break it down to where you're at today. If the outside is not matching the inside, here's where we go, okay? We, we can be in a restaurant somewhere and we pray really loud. And we're not praying because we want to pray over our food. We're just praying to impress people. It's easy to do that. Here's another one. We turn around and tell everyone, you know, I, I don't go and watch R-rated movies. I, I don't go to the movies and watch that. Yeah, you don't go to the movies because you rent them in your house on Netflix. Come on now. You see, the outside is not reflecting what the inside. Come on, fans, what about this one? Oh, I'll help others when I know other people are watching so I can get all the accolades and I can get all the praise. That's not the outside reflecting on really what should be happening on the inside. Here's another one. I'm going to put in the offering, but you know what? I don't want to help other people around me in need. I've already done my part. God says, what about the people around you too? You see how we can put on a show and we can put on an image just like the Pharisees and religious leaders. And it wasn't really what they were doing was wrong. But what made it wrong was their life was not matching up with the words that they were saying. And that's what's made them a hypocrite. And guess what? They were shooting at the wrong target. You're going to get a zero if you're shooting at the wrong target. I quoted this on Facebook today. Jesus doesn't expect his followers to be perfect, but he does call them to be authentic. I'm glad he doesn't call me to be perfect. Because no matter how hard I try, I can never aspire to perfection. I know it's hard for some of you to believe. I know that's tough. You know, no, I'm playing. Ask my wife. She can tell you I'm definitely not perfect. You know, but God never asked me to be perfect because my perfection is not in me. My perfection comes through him, surrendering my life to Christ. But what I can be and what he requires of me is to be real, authentic, not putting on a show, not hiding behind a mask. And and, and think about that good and hard right now. God doesn't want me to be perfect. He can live with my faults and my problems if I'll be real with them and don't hide them and don't mask them and don't lie about them. God's called us to be real. You know, we wonder why people don't want to come to church with us and we wonder why people don't want to become a Christian. You know, if we are living a lie... And what we say is not what we do. Here's my thought. I wouldn't want to be part of that church either. I don't want to be part of that church. I don't want to be a Christian like that. Come on, I don't want to be a Christian where people just say something and they don't do it. You know, and I I just really believe that there needs to be such a change in our lives. I was listening to an incredible message today called The Scandal of Grace. The Scandal of Grace. Grace is the greatest scandal that this world has ever heard. You know what a scandal is? A scandal is when something talks about it because it's scandalous. How could that ever happen, you know? There's no way possible. The greatest scandal of all times is the scandal of grace because you know what? I don't deserve to be forgiven. But you know what the scandal of grace says? I died in your place, God said, that you can be free. That you can be free. But the image that we give to so many people is we hide behind this mask. We're not real with people. How would it be if we were just real with everyone that we came in contact with? That we said to them, you know what? I'm not perfect. But yet we tried to give that perfect image. I don't have it all together. But yet that's what we tried. What would life be like if we say, you know, I know exactly where you're at. Because just last week I was right where you were. But can I tell you something? Can I tell you about a scandal called grace? That God didn't leave me in the same way because he was able to help me. And because of his help and strength, guess what? He changed me. And the same God that worked on my behalf can work on yours. Can you see how easy it is if we could just be real with people? You know, I'm having a bad day just like you. Not glory, hallelujah, nothing's wrong and nothing's no problems. People can't relate to that. And if they can't relate to that, why would they want to be like that? And please, don't get me wrong, there's the other flip side. I don't want you to be mega depressed and and just going around like you're so depressed all the time and miserable. I mean, keep it real. Get your life where it needs to be. But be transparent before God. Be a testimony of God's saving grace. Because you know what? If we're perfect, why do we need grace? If we're perfect, why do we need grace? But when we show people our faults and failures... 
You know, I've said sorry to my wife many times, and I'm probably going to have to say it many more times for an attitude, a tone, saying something, snapping at her, doing something. You know what? But you know, when I'm real with her and I can say sorry, guess what happens? That relationship can be mended and it can be fixed. And God willing, it can be better than what it was before. Can you see what can happen in life when we become real and not a hypocrite? where we're hitting the wrong target and we can throw our hands in the air and say, yeah, I won the gold and we get a zero and we don't even receive a medal. We're out of it. We're eighth place. Look what it says, jumping to verse 27 and 28 of Matthew 23. Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like a whitewashed tomb, which indeed appears beautiful outwardly, but inside you are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. Verse 28, even so you are also outwardly appealing righteous to men, appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Man, slam, man. Jesus just like slammed them. You've got to understand back then, if you touched a dead body, if you walked over a grave back then, you were unclean for a period of maybe up to seven days. You couldn't go to the temple and worship. You couldn't be around other people because whoever you touched became unclean. So you had to isolate yourself. So what they would do back then is they would whitewash the tombs for that reason, that no one would stumble upon it. People would know where the tombs were because they could easily see them. What Jesus was saying, you Pharisees, you're easy to see, but listen, I see exactly what you are. The uncleanness that you have, the hypocrisy that you work on the outside But yet in the inside, you're really screwed up and it doesn't reflect at all. Jesus actually in Matthew 20 and Matthew 23 talks about seven woes of the Pharisees, seven things that he really slams them on, really rebukes them on, challenges them. And I'm not going to go through seven of them today, but I'm just going to go quickly through three. So let me give you three of them really quick today. The first one is this, rules over relationship. Write that down, rules over relationship. Rules over relationship. Heard this today that it's important to take notes in church because when you get to heaven, God's going to ask to see all your notes and it could mean you get a better seat in heaven. Don't know if it's true, but it sounds pretty good to me. So I, so I would just be taking all the best notes that you possibly can, okay? Rules over relationship. And when it comes to notes, I want to tell you something. I don't ask you to do anything that I don't do myself. Always take notes when I'm studying, when I'm listening to preachers and all that kind of stuff. Because I want to learn as much as I can and grasp it all in. Look in verse 13. Verse 13, Matthew 23. Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. And in case you haven't already got it, he said, You hypocrites. For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. We could read on and you can read it later. But really what Jesus is saying is this. You have come up with so hard rules and regulations that you've made it near impossible for people to come to God. Nearly impossible for people to come to God. And we know the invitation that God made in Luke 9. We heard that if anyone desires to come after me. The invitation for God was for everyone. But what are the scribes? What are the religious leaders? Those who should have been the followers of Christ. What had they done? They had made it so hard for people to get to Christ. I think Jesus says it the best. You've slammed the kingdom of God. You've slammed that door shut in their face. You've slammed it in their face. You see, there wasn't only the rules and the laws of Moses. They had added so many different laws. They had added so many things, making it physically exhausting to almost live by. When the Sabbath day came by, and the Sabbath day is something that Jesus intended to be a resting time, a time of rest for man. We need to have a Sabbath. I want to say that to every one of you. I believe everyone needs a Sabbath. You need some downtime. You need that time to reflect. You need some time to re-energize your life, because if you just go and seven days a week on a constant full out throttle. You're going to burn out really soon. Jesus knew what he was doing when he himself even had to rest. Come on. If the God of creation had to rest, we need to rest. But the Sabbath, which was supposed to be a day of rest where they could just separate that time to do no work and they could just honor God and they could praise God. It was a day that they literally dreaded. They dreaded it. 
They dreaded if someone dropped something on the Sabbath, they weren't allowed to pick it up because that was a form of work. They weren't allowed to even move a chair on the Sabbath day because there was dust on the ground. And if they moved that chair, they would part the dust. And it was just as bad as being out plowing. I mean, the rules and the regulations that they had was horrific. They couldn't cook. They couldn't do anything on the Sabbath day. They made it such a burden. And Jesus spoke up against them for this reason. He knew that when following him becomes more about the rules, people will end up walking away from both. What do I mean by both? People will walk away from the rules and they'll walk away from God. You see, that's why Jesus was addressing this. And that's why it's so important in our lives that we get we get this stuff and we be a follower of Christ, that we're not slamming the door shut in people's faces and making it so hard for them to get to know Christ because we're so much better and we've got a revelation and we've got. Why do you think God saved you? Why do you think God saved you? Do you think God saved you just for heaven, Dustin? If God wanted just to save you for heaven, you know the best thing that we could do is this. At the end of every altar call, whoever gives their life to Christ, the best thing we could do is take a gun and shoot everyone. Come on now, if God just saved us for heaven, we don't want him to miss. You said yes to Jesus, bam, let's shoot you. You're going to be in heaven. Come on, there you go. Come on, God didn't save us just for heaven. That's, that's a reward for those who live for God. But you know why God saved us? So we can save other people. So we can touch other people's lives. If you just give and going through life and say, God save me so I can have this and I'm going to make it to heaven. You have missed the whole purpose of what salvation really is. Because salvation isn't so much about you. It's about other people. Because if you're saved, you're okay. Come on. It now becomes about other people and touching other people. And the religious leaders had slammed the door in people's face. Woe to us if we're like that. Because you know what? They don't just say no to the rules. They say no to Christ. Do you know and don't get me wrong, because Jesus doesn't want us to live a lawless life. We know that. Okay, so don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have any rules in our lives because we should live by rules. And and in fact, living for God shows us that the truth of living for God is this. Come on. You don't find Jesus through laws and rules. But instead, what? You will resent him in that. But here's the truth. That people find God through relationship and because of relationship will come obedience. But you see, when we're preaching that it's all about rules and rules and rules, guess what? There are so many people out there today. Sit down and talk to some people and ask them what the problems they have with church. Most of the time, their problem's not with God. I love God. I'm trying to live for God. But you know the problem is with the church and other Christians. Because of their hypocrisy is one of the worst things that you'll hear. And secondly, because of all the rules, because I was divorced, they said I couldn't go to that church. If that's what Christianity is, I don't want anything to do with that God. See how the rules can turn people off to God. That's why Jesus had to expose that. That's why we're exposing that tonight. So we don't want to hit the wrong target and think we're doing good for God and all the time we're getting a zero because we're hitting the wrong target. But you see, when we talk about relationships, and we take relationship to other people and we teach them about being in relationship. Because the reality is this, none of us are good enough to obtain salvation in our own. None of us are worthy. If you want to talk about your worthiness, you aren't worthy. And that's the scandal of grace right there. We aren't worthy. But for grace, but for his mercy, but for his forgiveness. But here's the reality. As we are in relationship with him and give our lives to him, we discover obedience to God comes from the inside out in our lives. We'll willingly do the things we ask. And we won't feel obliged. We won't feel, I've got to do that. But we will willingly do that. So let's be careful that our lives don't become more about the rules than about the relationship. We've got to have rules, but rules come from relationship. Relationship is not built from rules. Here's the second thing that Jesus said to them. You got so caught up in the law that you forgot to love people. Do you know we can get so caught up in trying to do the word of God that we forget the message of the word of God? The message of the word of God, plain and simply, is to love people. It's what the message of God is. 
From Genesis to Revelation, the message of God is love, love, love. And he didn't just love, he so loved the world that he gave heaven's best. He bankrupt heaven to give you and I. Look what it says in verse 16 and 17. And stay with me here because this is kind of a mouthful and I'll try and sum this up for you really quickly today. Jesus says, woe to you blind guides. Man, he's now gone from a hypocrite to your blind guide who say, whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? Let me quickly explain that to you. Back in those days, there were certain things that if they made an oath upon, it was something that was binding, but yet they could make an oath on something that was non-binding. So here we see two areas, the temple and the gold of the temple. The temple was something that those religious leaders, people of that day, could make an oath against, but it was something that wasn't binding. Okay? But then if they swore to the gold of the temple, that was something binding. So here's what happened. They would use their oaths to manipulate people. If they didn't want to help someone, you know what they would do? They would swear by an oath that they could not denounce. But yet if they wanted to do something, they would swear by something that they could break and they could follow, uh, you know, they could go back on. Do you see how they were manipulating the law to fit exactly what they wanted? But in the process of them getting what they wanted, guess what? The hurting people were getting more hurt. They weren't getting their needs met. And instead of looking and saying, hey, there's a need over there, they would swear by the gold of the temple and say, man, we can't help you because you're living in sin or you're doing this by the temple of God. They would use the oaths of God, is what Jesus is saying, to manipulate their own gain, but in turn, not help other people. I'm glad I'm part of a church. You know that we don't manipulate things and we don't, don't use Jesus as an excuse and his name. And well, we can't do this because of this and that. And we're bound by this. I'm glad that we are people that loves people and helps people and, and wants to be there for people. You know, Jesus taught something different of the law when he came. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said to them this. Jesus said in the Sermon of the Mount, he said, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. That's what he said. But what was he, why was he saying that? Because he knew how the scribes and the Pharisees were. If they didn't want to, they would do it a certain way and would manipulate the situation so they wouldn't want to or have to do anything because they had swore by this or that. They manipulated people. Jesus was showing them that the point of the law was for the people to deal truthfully with one another. You know, our lives need to be truthful with one another. So easy we can just fabricate stuff and we can just use spiritual excuses why we're not helping people. You know, there's some things that we do need to make a stand on. I understand that. Okay, there are exceptions. I understand that. But you know what? The religious leaders would use the law to their benefit, disregarding all the needs of people. Switching between what was binding and non-binding, depending on their decision. Using the law to beat up on people who were already hurting. The law was more important to them than to love people. And we cannot get like that. That we're so, well, the word of God says that homosexuality is wrong. Yeah, it does say that, but the, the Bible doesn't say that you should hate the homosexual. Come on now. You're going quiet on me in the hands. You know, the Bible speaks about adultery being a sin, but the Bible also says, how will they know unless we tell them? You don't love the act, but you love the sinner. You don't love the sin, but you love the sinner. Because if we can't show grace and mercy, oh, but the law says, and the law of God is God. And That's how many of you sound. Hey, I'm not condoning anything because that's sin. But you know what? We have the answer to sin. It's Christ. It's the scandal of grace that God has given to every one of us. And if we turn around and say, well, you're condemned by the law and by the word of God, then listen, we're teaching a false doctrine to them because the Bible says by grace are you saved. It's not what you do. It's not who you are, but it's who you surrender your life over to. Come on. It's who you give your life to. That's what changes you. No good work saves you. And I'm going to say something now that's going to make some of you mad. If you're a murderer and a liar in God's eyes, you're still a sinner. 
doesn't matter. Sin is sin. We know the world has different consequences for the different levels of sin. But in God's eyes, sin is a separating factor between God and man. But you see how the Pharisees, and we've got to be careful in our lives, that we don't get so, well, bless God, the Bible says, yeah, the Bible does say that. But the Bible also says that we need to love them into the kingdom. We don't accept the sin. We don't allow that, but we turn around and say to them, God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. We're not placing people into guilt. We're trying to place them into grace. Come on now. We're trying to place them not into a guilt, but into the grace of God in our lives. You know, most of us in here, the things that we did before we were saved, God's word, we could have easily been written off by so many people. Come on, we could have been easily written off, and perhaps we even were, by fans. But come on, we want to be followers. We want to hit the wrong target. We want to hit the right one. Are you with me tonight? Lastly, I'm almost done. Lastly, in verse 23 and 24, Jesus says that what happens if we don't watch too? And he addresses this with the Pharisees. He said, you are focusing on the wrong stuff and you miss really what truly matters. I wonder how many times in our lives we can miss the most important things. I remember one of the best advice that one of our uh, um, lecturers gave at Bible college when I went to Bible college was this. He turned up in the class and he said, here's what I tell you all to do. He said is this. He says, minor on the minors and major on the majors. He said, too many people minor on the majors and they major on the minors. Let me say that one more time. Minor on the minors, major on the majors. Because too many people major on the minors and they minor on the majors. Here's the rule I live by, and you can shoot me down if you want. Here's how I live by stuff. There's a lot of things that we can discuss. There's a lot of things that we can maybe disagree on in the word of God. But here's how I look at it. I ask myself this question all the time. Is it going to affect my salvation? Does it affect my salvation? If it affects my salvation, I'm telling you right now, that's a major. And I need to be majoring on those majors. But if it's something that doesn't affect my salvation, but yet it could be offense to someone or someone else, but it doesn't affect my salvation from what I read in the Word of God, guess what? That's a minor, and I'm not going to give too much heed to that. Because you know what? I'm going to major on the majors and I'm going to minor on the minors. Jesus said the religious leaders weren't like that. They were missing the things that were the most important. Look what it says in verse 23 and 24. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. He's gone back to the hypocrite word. You bunch of hypocrites. For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin. What Jesus is saying here, these are seeds. These are little herbs. Jesus said they had got so caught up in the law that everything they did, they had to pay a tithe on this and pay a tithe on this. And, pay on. and it wasn't wrong, but yet they had got so caught up that they had missed the heart behind it. They had missed the spirit behind what they were given. They weren't given it out of love. They were given it out of obligation. And they had lost the importance of the joy of truly giving to God. The Bible says a New Testament giver, you know, the Bible says the kind of giver a New Testament giver is hilarious giver. Come on, a cheerful giver, a joyful giver. Not someone who's given out of obligation, but someone who's giving out of joy. And they were tithing on everything. I mean, if someone gave them a plant, they would take a tenth of the leaves off and give it to the church. They were so bound by the law. That's what Jesus says, that they have tithing on everything, but you have neglected the weightier matters of the law. And what does he say you've neglected? You've neglected justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. And he said, you are blind guides who strain out the gnat and swallow a camel. They were so bound by what they did. They wouldn't just drink water through a normal pitcher. They would have some kind of filter situation on top of it, a sieve that they would have that they would drink over because they were so worried that they would drink impurities into their body. And Jesus said, you're so worried about drinking impurities into your body that you strain out the gnat. And what are you doing? You are swallowing a camel. In other words... Jesus said, you have made the matters of the law and many laws that they had come up with more important than what was the most important.
And Jesus said, you've forgotten justice. You've forgotten mercy. You've forgotten faith. Listen to me. What people wear, what the color of their hair is, how many tattoos they've got on, how bad they smell is not the most important thing. It's justice, mercy and faith. It's their heart that's the most important thing. The most important thing is that they aren't judged because if they're judged, then they will never experience the love of God because they will feel rejected by that. Jesus said, you've got to be so careful because here you are supposed to be the leaders, but you're hitting the wrong target because you're focusing on the things. Well, you've got to dress a certain way. You've got to act a certain way. You've got to do a certain way. Well, why did they know to do that? Because they had been educated. What about those who are not educated in that? God says, what about showing justice and mercy and teaching them faith? It's a powerful message tonight that you need to hear. All the petty Things of the law that we have seen added to the church has caused so many people to miss what's the most important. And that is this. God loves you just how you are. Just as you are. And you better say amen to that because he loved you just as you were. You maybe thought you're better than most, but you are still a sinner. And it's amazing, isn't it? I want to create a culture, an atmosphere in this church where people who are going to come in, you know what? They maybe don't look the best. They maybe don't smell the best. But you know what? They need to be given the same opportunity as everyone else in this house. If we're focusing on building a comfortable place for us, you know, I've said this before and I'm going to say it again. If we're building a church that you can leave your purse on the front row and you can go off for 20 minutes and come back and expect everything to still be in your purse, we're probably building the wrong type of church. Come on, don't shoot me down. What are you saying? You want some thieves in your church? Yeah, you better believe I want some thieves in our church because they're the ones that need Christ. Come on, I'd much rather see people having to carry their handbags around in church, but creating an atmosphere where everyone can come in and they can receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. Come on now, help me out. Do I want people's bags to be stolen? No, I don't. Do we have security? Yes, and we try. But guess what? That's the kind of people we need. But yet we miss that so often. Why? Because we're focusing on the smallest things instead of what's the most important things. When you stand before God, what's God's going to say to you is the most important thing. The car you drive, how much money you had in the bank account, how successful you were in life. There's all those things. In fact, the Bible says all those things pretty much are wood, hay and stubble and they're going to be burnt up. They're going to be burnt up. The only thing that we're going to stand before God with is our heart and the things that we have done for God. You know what the most important thing that day is? Our heart, our relationship with him. Let me close with this story, if I could. Pretty powerful story. It says this, if I can find it. It's in here somewhere. Dun, 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 dun. It's not unusual for me to talk to Christian parents who are concerned because their college-aged kids or their grown children don't go to church and show almost no interest in Jesus or anything spiritual for that matter. Often these good church-going folks don't understand where things went wrong and they want to know what happened and what to do now. Where there are no easy answers, usually I listen to their story and offer a little encouragement and I pray for them. A few months ago I was speaking in Houston, Texas and a good-sized man with a good-sized belt buckle came up to me with tears in his eyes. He began to tell me the story of his prodigal daughter, how she went to college and totally turned her back on the faith. As soon as he started the story, I knew how it would go. I've heard it so many times. Even the details seemed so predictable. But when he finished, he didn't ask me why she was doing this or what he had done wrong. He wasn't looking for an explanation. And instead, he said one sentence. Or instead, with one sentence, he put his finger on what he thought had happened. And here's what he said. We raised our daughter in church. We didn't raise her in Christ. You hear what he's saying? We raised her to look right on the outside, but we failed to teach her about what was the most important, and that was the inside. 
We taught her to keep all the rules, but yet we never taught her how to really have a relationship with God. We made her to feel guilty for all the wrong things that she had done, but somehow we had missed to share with her God's amazing grace. We taught her to be a fan of Jesus instead of a follower of Jesus. Parents, I know it's tough. One of the biggest struggles Kelly and I have in our home, our kids are not here so we can tell you, every week, is the way they want to dress to church. It's not that they want to dress bad, but I was just brought up that we always wore suits and ties and everything to church. So that's still something of religion maybe inside of me because I like to look nice in the house. I think it represents the God that we serve. I don't want to come here with cut off jeans. And, but hey, if people want to come to church like that, praise God, we love them. But you know, it's just something that I, I like for myself and I want that for my kids. But you know, what God has showed Kelly and I is this. I'd much rather my kids come in shorts to church and want to be in church than come in a suit and be a hypocrite, and can't wait for the moment to leave. Don't get me wrong. I think there's rules and things that we need to enforce. But remember this, maybe we can miss sometimes what really matters because of our pettiness and because of religion. Remember the story about the lady who had the ham and she walked in and her mum was cooking the ham and she watched as her mum cut, cut one end off the ham and cut the other end off the ham and put it in the bowl to cook it. And she says, Mum, why do you do that? She says, I don't know. She says, my, my mother always did it. Your grandmother always did it. Ask her. So she went the next day and she saw her grandmother. She said, when mum cooks, she always cuts a ham, the ends off the hams and puts it in the pot. She said, you told her. She said, I don't know why I did it. My mother did it. Your great-grandmother, she was still living. Why don't you ask her? Little girl went to the great-grandmother and said, great-grandmother, why is it that every time my grandmother and my mom cook a ham, they cut off the end and they cut off the end and they put it in the pot? The great-grandmother said, sweetheart, it's simple. I didn't have a big enough pot. It's amazing, isn't it, that we can look and say, well, that's how it's got to be because it's always been done that way. But maybe the reason it was done that way was because the pot wasn't big enough in the first place. And look what we've robbed and look what we've lost in the process. And again, I know teaching some of this stuff can run the risk of people taking it to the farthest extreme, but that's not what we're about here in this church. We're not about extremes. We're about living the straight and narrow for God. Oh, so Philip's just going to come and look like... No, no, no. Not change. But what I'm saying is this. If we put as much effort into how we thought other people should look in coming to church as taking care to find out the needs of people who were coming to church, guess what? We would have the best church in town. If we put as much effort into the excellence that we want around here, into people's lives out there, guess what? This world would be a completely different place. So let me sum this all up tonight. The reason I ended this with this message is for this reason. If we don't watch as followers, we can think ourselves better than a fan. We can think of ourselves, well, I've got this now and I'm higher and I'm greater and I'm better. And that's, what, that's not what the message of a follower is all about. It's not about positioning yourself out of reach because how can you win them if you can't touch them? Isolation is not living in a hole. God called us to come out from amongst them and be separate, but isolation is not living in a hole. Holiness is not living in a hole. But it's showing Christ to other people. It's not looking down on others. That's hitting the wrong target. That's not the follower Jesus died for us to be. Here's what we need to live with. We need to live with greater grace, greater acceptance, not of the sin, but the sinner. Greater love. Notice this, we've got to live with greater grace, greater acceptance, and greater love so he can bring a greater transformation. That he can change a life. From the inside out. We're not called to be his Holy Spirit. The last time I checked, there wasn't a vacancy in the triune Godhead. Come on, we're not called to be the Holy Spirit. We're called to be the fisherman that catches the fish and let the Holy Spirit clean them. We're called to be his light and darkness, not by hitting the wrong target, 
and trying to be so holy and super spiritual and using the word of God to manipulate and control and beat people. But yet using it as a signpost, as an example, as a light to lead them to Christ. If you want to know what a follower is, can I give this to you? Here's what a follower it means. To be a more effective witness for Christ. To be a more effective witness for Christ. If you are a more effective witness for Christ, that means you're living a life of Christ. And Christ's life is real inside of you. Would you stand to your feet with us tonight? I know I went on too long. I apologize. How many say, Pastor, you slapped me up the side of the head a little bit tonight? How many say I had to curl my toes in a little bit because you were stamping all over me tonight? You know what? Don't miss the target. How sad it's going to be for many people. We used this verse at the beginning of this series. How sad it's going to be when people are going to say, Lord, Lord, we cast out devils in your name. We raised the sick. We did this and we did that. And Jesus is going to look at them and say, I never knew you. Who are you? Who are you? That's missing the target big time. I want to hit the target. Come on, if you want to hit the target with your life, just lift your hands up right now. Jesus, we surrender our lives to you again. God, we pray that we never slam the door in people's face. God, we pray that it doesn't become more about rules than it becomes about life. We pray that it doesn't become about law, that we forget about love. God, we pray that we don't focus on the things that are so minor and trivial that we miss the things that are so important. God, in our lives, help us, God, to be a witness for you. Help us to be a true follower of you. God, that means some things that people do. We may not really like because that's not how we were brought up to do things. But God, that doesn't necessarily always make it wrong. God, I thank you that, God, you've given us your word. But you've given us your word to be a light to those around, not to beat people up, not to condemn them. But, God, you've given us a scandal called grace. That, God, we can share that with other people because we don't deserve it but for grace. We couldn't do it but for God's grace. We wouldn't be here but for God's grace. And, God, now it's up to us to tell other people. And God, I pray that, God, you would use us in a greater way like never before to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard. But we also know it will be changed as you put God's word into effect. At Heartseas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.